Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, spending these hours with me. I'm looking forward to our time together. I don't sing. I shouldn't even try to sing. We're going to have a great hour. Guy Talk is ahead in 60 seconds. We're going to be joined in studio by uh, George Fraser, the co-host of Real Recovery, Pastor Tom Brock from the thepastorstudy.org. Do I have that right, Tom? Pa- pastorstudy.org. And Dr. Peter Kapsner, uh, that's the power panel today, and we're open to taking any questions you'd like us to chew on, talk about, or try to come up with an answer to. We're going to do our very, very best. The best uh, way to do it is send us a text, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We love, love your questions, and we're going to take 60 seconds and then bring on the panel. We're just a week away from our fall fundraiser called SHARE. And we'll be inviting you to do what that word suggests, to share in the work of this ministry. I'm Neil Staven, manager of Faith Radio. We're fully listener-supported and rely on friends from all across our listening area to partner with us in keeping the gospel going out. Because of this support, lives are changed, families strengthened, and communities impacted. So pray about your part and plan to connect with us starting Tuesday, September 10th for Fall Share here on Faith Radio. They're not shaped like the Flintstones. In fact, there's nothing ancient about them. The timeless values of faith, hope, and love are like vitamins for your soul. As you listen to Faith Radio, you can find your daily dose to help you stay spiritually healthy. The teaching and conversations are designed to encourage you and equip you to make a difference in your sphere of influence. So thanks for spending time here. We're sure there's a flavor you'll just love. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. to the show. Awfully glad to be joined in studio today by George Fraser, a man who generally only hangs out with Glitterati. Hello, George. Good to see you, Billy. And Pastor Tom, Tom, Pastor Tom Brock. Hi, George. <laughs> Peter, Peter, good to see you. And Peter Kapsner, Dr. Peter Kapsner. Peter, how are you today? <laughs> I'm doing well, Bill. Good. So we've got a lot uh, to talk about today. So let's start with something that just came out because tonight, of course, is the start of the NFL season. So guys like us uh, who like football are going to be distracted tonight. But having said that, Drew Brees has been uh, heavily criticized by the left over a video, a very short video done by uh, Drew through Focus on the Family, promoting Bring Your Bible to School Day. Now, he has uh, gotten blasted. He says, one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 5, 7, where we live by faith, not by sight. Mr. Brees said in the video, I want to encourage you to live out your faith on Bring Your Bible to School Day and share your love with friends you're not alone. And for that, he got blasted. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, jump in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's, so, it's so disappointing on so many different levels. But, you know, I wish I could say that it was surprising, and, and it certainly isn't, because this sort of seems to be the script 
by which uh, people just sort of they, they monitor the situation. And as soon as they see something that even could be perceived in this way, it immediately gets labeled as hate. And and I think, Bill, and we are all chatting off the air a little bit. It's um, hate is now sort of a synonym for disagreement. So if you disagree with somebody, you hate them. And if you agree with them, you love them. And uh, that's such a departure from how we've understood these conversations in the past, where people could sort of hold intention the idea that they might disagree with each other, but actually still enjoy each other's company and possibly even love one another. And I think about it with my kids. I, I never stop loving my kids, but I am going to disagree with my kids. I never stop loving my wife. I hope she never stops loving me. And yet we disagree with each other. But it, it, we're sort of given these crazy, weird binary options these days that if you don't agree with somebody, as I said, you hate them. Otherwise, there's kind of this thing of, but you should be more like Jesus, and that means you love people, which uh, tends to mean that you embrace everything they do. And and so this is, again, not surprising. What would have been surprising is if people uh, sort of on that side of these things would have been okay with it. And Peter, you said something uh, which I love, and I'll quote you, uh, love with disagreement seems a lost art. Yeah, I mean, when is the last time that we've seen in the political sphere or in this sort of social activistic sphere, sphere uh, a disagreement with love? I mean, it does happen, but it certainly is not going to happen in the Twitter sphere and some of the social media herds in which we uh, find ourselves. And so uh, it is, it's, I think, and I'm not sure why we lost that art entirely. And I think what's truly a bit more concerning to me is when disagreement philosophically on things becomes sort of this moralizing of, so now this is good and this is evil. Because as soon as you do that, as soon as you label something as evil, now you've justified in your own mind that you should drive it out because it is evil. And of course there is morality going on here between good and evil uh, in this particular situation. But so many of the things that we deal with are simply just disagreements. But boy, you label them and then you can shut the other person down and then uh, and then you can drive them out. I think he got in trouble because he was linked with focus on the family. Mm -hmm. And I think you said before the radio show started that they were being uh, called anti-gay, an anti-gay hate group. And it's just an organization that presents a threat to the lives of kids who weren't born to fit into their little Christian box. Yeah, it's the new orthodoxy is you better believe same-sex behavior is okay and transgenderism is is okay or you're a hater. Mm-hmm. And that's not just going on in our society. I just watched, uh, oh, it was rough to watch, the ELCA Lutheran National Convention on, on YouTube. I mean, this is a Lutheran denomination, pastors getting to the microphone, uh, voting down the guy that stood up and said Jesus is the only way of salvation. He got voted down. But then to see lots of speakers at the microphone telling us their preferred pronouns before they spoke. Hmm. And this is clear. These are clergy. Oh. And so it, the new orthodoxy is not, do you believe in the Trinity? Not you, Are you gay friendly? It's hmm. uh, a big one. You're looking at me. I'm glancing your way. I, you know, I, you, I hadn't you, seen you, the you video. Part, yeah. <laughs> well, I haven't and, seen it either. And, and part I just of the, read it. Part of the thing for me, and please let me finish this, um, you know, before we move on. Um, I don't really care what other people think, uh, and that can be good or bad, but I don't watch as much um, political stuff on TV anymore. I don't really trust what I read in the paper. Um, 
And I lose my focus. I can't be the loving Christian guy that I'm supposed to be if I get caught up in the daily events. And so if you come out for Christ and people bash you, that doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. But the other thing, and there's always when we have criticism a little bit that we need to look at, are we as Christians always loving and kind on how we react? And for me, that's where I'm responsible, and I'm not. I... I, I think this is very unfortunate, um, but I expect that now, Billy. That, mm-hmm. um, and so I think what we have to do is just keep our, our head down and keep walking and love people that might throw things at us, but also look at ourselves and go, I've seen a lot of people who are Christians who get politically active and causes that don't act like Christians. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I think we need to look at that, too. So thanks for letting me hear that. That's good, George. Yeah. Good to be on it my is, last it, show, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, that was, that's better than average. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's not saying much, is it? So, come on, Peter, bail me out here. No, right? yeah, no, George, I, George, I really I appreciate that you said that because I think to separate out some of the activistic kind of language that does really sort of look for these Drew Brees kinds of situations just to shut them down and sort of make a point, I would say the vast majority of people, uh, both believers and unbelievers, are – Uh, tend to be pretty confused and pretty uncertain about this situation. I think it would actually be unusual to come across somebody who uh, is is just feeling really confident in all of the ideas about same-sex relationships and transgenderism. I mean, it's it's sort of swept upon us so quickly as a society, and we haven't really been able to sort out the rubble from those places. And and the families and the kids and the churches in which I find myself, they're mostly confused. They really want to do the right thing. They're not here to just shout somebody down. And then to your point, George, um, the church certainly has been guilty historically of of not treating people within the LGBTQ community terribly well. And uh, and so there's been this pendulum swing away from that. But now I think we're sort of in a season of just recognizing it's actually a minority of activists who really are this angry. And, and of course, they're the ones that make the news. Most people that I run across are really confused, really uncertain, would like to walk pathways that are consistent with the kingdom, but don't really know how to do it and just need some equipping and, and some teaching and some people to come around them. Uh, there is a reason why same gender relationships are inconsistent with God's kingdom, but I don't feel like we do a great job of talking about it in a way that considers the person above the issue. Nicely stated. All right. Here's a question that Andrew has written in with, and this uh, is nicely ties into this discussion about love with disagreement. And he says, how do I stand firm on a predecided principle with someone who disagrees and, st- and still maintain respectful conversation? Who wants to jump on that one? I'm on a clergy Facebook page that, uh, that is uh, rough. I mean, some, these are pastors now, and some of them use foul language and are insulting and just kind of demeaning language. And other people on the Facebook page are super polite. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, you know what I learned years ago uh, when I was in a liberal denomination? The people at the microphone that keep their cool win the day. They win. And the people that use foul language and insult people, they lose. And so I just, you know, Bible says, speak the truth in love, not with a sledgehammer, but speak the truth in love. And I just think when I'm on that Facebook page, on a rare occasion, I'll write something. I try to be as polite as pie, knowing I'm going to get it in the neck from some of these people. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you you speak the truth in love and, and just force yourself to bite your tongue when you feel like talking back. 
Peter, George, any comment on uh, how do you stand firm on a predecided principle with someone who disagrees and still maintain the respectful conversation? Well, I, I think yeah. for me, uh, it's hard to get into these at a certain point and not try to win. And I was listening to your show a couple of weeks ago, Bill, when you had David Wheaton on. And I forget the term he used, but he was talking about how the um, uh, gay movement and the Muslims are together and there's what we would call strange partnerships. Mm-hmm. Well, I see Christians doing that, too. I'm pro-life. And to align myself with our current president as a Christian, even though, you know, if I go pro-life, he's not always the best example of Christianity. Okay, Mm -hmm. And so I think I got to stay out of these things except on a personal level. Um, I don't go on Facebook. I don't want to get in an argument zone. I don't want to get in a situation I can't handle where my human side's going to come across. And I forget what the point was because I got to win. <laughs> and I think people are like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, Peter, what do you think? Bail me out again, will you, brother? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, you know, I, I don't know that I have a, a silver bullet solution to this sort of thing. I've been thinking quite a bit over the last six months that this might just be a situation of having to play out the long game a little bit. I have a very good friend of mine whose son has recently come out of the closet as uh, being same gender attracted and, uh, and in particular then embracing a gay lifestyle. And we've talked at length about what you have to do because they're in that situation where there's a disagreement. And yet, especially between father and son, there wants to be, there wants to be respect there. And other than playing the long game where you just have to say, we're going to have to let this play out for a little bit because if being in a gay relationship is inconsistent with God's kingdom, ultimately it's going to reveal itself as such. And until that time, it's really hard to try to change somebody's mind. And and I think it almost sometimes does more harm than good. And And I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm not saying that, boy, you should just be quiet all the time and just let it play out. But I, I do find it interesting that some recent research has come out among millennials that their attitudes towards transgenderism are shifting. And instead of becoming more permissive, they're actually becoming less so because they're seeing their friends now after three, four, five, six years of living a transgender lifestyle that it hasn't resolved the depression, anxiety. It hasn't brought peace to the soul, all of those things. And and I think that could be an idea of seeing these things play themselves out a bit uh, just just to wait. And eventually, if there is rubble at the end of the day that we're going to have to sort through together, that's when the church can come in in sort of this redemptive place with each other. But until then, I think to respectfully disagree, I mostly find myself staying quiet on it because of what we talked about earlier, which is if you decide to disagree, you're going to be labeled a hater in this season. So it might just be best to be quiet for a bit. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, lots more of Guy Talk. Thanks for joining me today. Let me know what your questions are, 877-933-2484. Question or issue, we'll tackle it. Thanks for joining us today. We are having a full hour of Guy Talk, and the ladies are on next. But so far, we've got uh, the power panel of Dr. Peter Kapster, George Fraser, the co-host of Real Recovery, and Pastor Tom Brock. Go to pastorstudy.org to learn more about Tom and his ministry. All right, gentlemen, we last left off. We still have some things to kick around here on this subject, Tom. Yeah, I, I know a couple, Christian couple, sweet, gentle Christian couple, they get an invitation to their lesbian niece's wedding. They prayed about it, didn't feel right about going. 
And you got to know these people. They're very gentle. And they wrote a letter each to her just saying, you know, we love you and we affirm our love for you, but we don't think this is God's will for you, so we, we don't feel right attending. And now that whole side of the family won't talk to them. And and the point I want to make is I think we need to lovingly open our mouths and speak the truth of God, do it humbly and lovingly. And if you get rejected, that doesn't mean you did anything wrong. You know, some people think, oh, why should have done that? I mean, this couple, it, it grieves them that their brother isn't talking to them anymore and that they don't see their their that family anymore. But I think they did exactly right. I wouldn't recommend anything different. So just just know that Jesus said, look, if if, if they're going to do it to me, they're going to do it to you. And, and uh, it's part of following Christ. All right, let me jump to uh, a passage out of 2 Timothy in chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. There, Paul is urging Timothy to have nothing to do with men who are loaded with sins and have depraved minds. Uh, sometimes, though, as an adult, if you decide to follow Christ, you realize that you have a lot of friendships, and some of them aren't very healthy. Are you spending time with people who are building you up and drawing you closer to the Lord? Or are you kind of just hanging out with people who have uh, a minimal to no interest in spiritual matters? That's the topic. Mm-hmm. You want me to leave now? <laughs> uh oh. I mean, there's, 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 you know, the difference between a friend that can uplift you and build you up, and someone who is not uh, contributing to your faith life. Okay, and I think of all the friends I have, and I'll include you in that group today. <laughs> you do that better than anybody I've ever met, and, and I think we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of friends who are not walking with the Lord, but you're one of their best friends. I'm in, I'm in their face. Well, you're in their life. I'm in their life, yes. And uh, you show by example, and you don't really say stuff, you show it. You show up for things, you help people, and they know where you're at with Jesus. And I think um, we can become part of a separated cult where we don't hang out with other people unless they're Christians. And I don't read that in the Bible. It does say, do not... Uh, you know, bad company corrupts good character. Mm-hmm. But I think we're supposed to be out there with people. And I think instead of talking to them all the time, I think we need to love them. And Billy, you do a really good job of that. And a lot of the guys we work with are still drinking and still using drugs. And you can hold a firm line. But you know, the people that helped me that got me attracted to be a Christian, and mm. I struggle with it more than anybody I've ever met. I can't think of anybody, Tom, that needs a savior more than I do. Thanks for nodding your head. Um, <laughs> is that the people that love me, even though I knew I was messing up, people know they're messing up. Mm. They know that. And, and rather than kick them to the curb, let's help them. And I think that would, you know, spread the gospel a lot better than going around picketing places, you know, let's feed some of these people. Let's get them some health care. Let's give them rights. Let's have some action that's positive. And then you can show once, you know, once people see how much you care, uh, you can share. Help me out again, Peter. Yeah, Peter, this is is it. Boy, I don't know. I, you know, listen to you talk, George, because I'm wrestling too with the Bible seems to be filled with examples of being with people that are, you know, really broken, hurting, lost in this world. And also too, then you have this passage, Bill, that you just read. And so what what would be the difference and maybe why the difference in instructions in that? And, and other than uh, feeling real compelled, George, by what you said, that 
when there are people that are lost, broken, hurting, suffering, that are not even indicating in any way, shape, or form any kind of spiritual, much less Christian behavior, um, there is an invitation to be with them, to help bind the brokenhearted, to heal wounds, to to call them into a kingdom where life and hope and peace is actually possible. And and I think that might be different than what uh, Paul was instructing Timothy, who was dealing with sort of the social powers of the day in Ephesus, who were more reveling in power, more reveling in anti-God kinds of stuff, more reveling in uh, wanting to shut that whole thing down. Not necessarily the broken, hurting, lost, but people in power who are perpetrating stuff that is completely against the kingdom. And and I don't know if that relates to, I sometimes get invited uh, to play golf at a, at a local golf course. And uh, there's quite a few wealthy, powerful people with whom I'm hanging and, and the, the value certainly would have to do with increasing wealth, increasing power. There's a ton of gambling that goes on. There's, there's, you know, the language is not great. It's all of what you would think. And, and it feels to me slightly different. And, and what I find is that if I do that for a couple weeks in a row at a time, suddenly I start getting pulled towards some of these things and I start getting attracted to the allure of them. And, and there's sort of this power that kind of begins to compel and potentially corrupt. And I don't know if that's the difference of what we're talking about here, but certainly we are not called to stay away from the broken, hurting, lost in this world. Um, but I think there might be a corrupting reality of those in power. And I just preached before I came here to the radio station to a, uh, a ministry downtown that works with poor people, and it's kind of a rough area of town. And after the sermon, a guy came up and said, you know, Pastor, pray for me. And he said, I get up and I, I walk through the neighborhood and I get so tempted. And I don't know what it was, maybe drugs or, or, or something. But, you know, <clears throat> and I just, there's a situation where he knows where his weak spot is. I almost wanted to say, any way you can move, <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just, if there's any way we can av- avoid the uh, occasion of the sin, it's best to. Now, he probably can't move. So then I said to him, make sure you have a prayer partner, a Christian man that you pray with and talk the, this stuff out with, so that if you got to stay where you're at, was my point, that, that you've got some kind of uh, uh, fellow. Don't try to do this alone, because we won't win if we do it alone. Yeah, I agree. Because the flip side of it, right, is when we're actually when we're with people that are following Jesus and sharing life in the kingdom, it really does strengthen and encourage the heart. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we can see both sides of this. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we're still broken and fragile. And because we have Christ, we can do all things through Christ, not taking credit ourselves. But the flip side of that, I think, Peter, is I'm still very vulnerable in situations. Mm -hmm. And so it's best if you're going to be in those to take somebody with you. There you go. that's great. Great counsel. I got great counsel. No, that's great counsel. That's great counsel. And we're already up against our our first big hard break here. So we're going to take a break. But what I want to do is encourage um, some input from you. Let us know what it is you'd like us to uh, discuss. It can be a question. It could be an issue. It can be something that uh, you have uh, struggled with. And of course, men or women can certainly submit questions. We call this guy talk, but we take uh, any question uh, from anyone and we will be more than happy to uh, kick it around. My guests are Dr. Peter Kapsner, George uh, Fraser, the co-host of Real Recovery, and Pastor Tom Brock. His website is pastorsstudy.org. So we'll take uh, about 90 seconds and be right back.
Sunday afternoons at 2.30 on Faith Radio. We are having Guy Talk today. Joined in studio, George P. Fraser, co-host of Real Recovery, Pastor Tom Brock, pastorstudy.org, and Dr. Peter Kapsner. Gentlemen, uh, let's see. When I think of 2 Timothy 3.16, probably uh, one of my top ten verses, I'm talking about Scripture as a teaching and training tool, uh, often for rebuking and correcting in righteousness. You think of that word rebuke. Um, there's a great proverb that said, um, open rebuke is better than hidden love. When you think of that word rebuke, does that feel aggressive or what does that feel like to you? Depends how they do it. I mean, if I remember a lady once had, she had to quote rebuke me. She came up and, oh, Pastor Brock, I need to talk to you about something, but could we pray first? And she's praying, Lord, help me do this right. And she was so humble and tender and loving. <laughs> There's no way I could not have heard her out. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, some people just bark at you at the door as they're coming out yep. of church. So I think, and, and what she had to say, honestly, I still don't agree with her, but she did it perfectly. Well, I'm wondering about criticism. And is is the next thing up from criticism rebuke, or are they different? I think rebuke has to do when you're when you're sinning. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. my my belief. Yeah, that seems like a good distinction. And and uh, I mean, I can't say that I've ever you know been thrilled to get rebuked. <laughs> and it's not like <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I'm super super pumped about that. But um, I think when it when it's friends that you trust and and um, you know if humility is such a, a key but often uh, missed characteristic of, of God's kingdom, especially for people in leadership that um, to, to have a, a humble and a forbearing kind of a spirit, then with friends and to be rebuked, like uh, Pastor Brock said, I, I think we have to learn how to invite those kind of things. When it's somebody who is more concerned about uh, our own character development than maybe we might be, I, and, and I can't always, I mean, George, you said it earlier, and I can't see always what's going on in my life, and, and I need other people to see it for me. And, and in a trusting relationship, well, okay, I can't say I still enjoy it, but I think it's really uh, important. And boy, for Scripture to do that, right? I mean, I, I can say that I've certainly been rebuked by Scripture. It somehow seems easier. I'm not sure why, but there's certain times I've read passages of Scripture and go, wait, I am all mixed up in my thinking about this sort of situation. Yeah, I, you know, I, I apparently got rebuked over the Internet about five minutes ago, and the next <laughs> time I see the guy, I'm going to take care of it. No, I, th- <laughs> I think you're exactly right. Right. And, and if I'm in a good spot, I learn from it. But it's always almost shaming to me to get corrected. Uh, that's my initial response is that I did something wrong. And, and as I've gotten older, guys, it's, it's like, hey, I do stuff wrong all the time. It's a great freedom. Bill has a guest on Dr. Glenn Pickering, and he talks about that. When we're wrong, it doesn't mean we're bad. And I think for a lot of us, we need to relearn that. I know I certainly do. And what we really got to listen to is if people who are totally disconnected 
criticize you for the same thing. <laughs> then you know yeah. somebody somewhere's got a point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, is is do we believe the Bible? Because it talks about this all the time coming from the other side of negative things. But iron sharpens iron, so one man another. If you if you are a Christian, you need guys that have the permission to tell yeah. you, hey George, you're messing up again. Yeah. And, yeah, and I, and I think you know guys can be so competitive, right, on so many different levels, and so I've heard you know, that. there's some you know <laughs> there's so much that needs to be set aside to to start walking in those kind of relationships. Um, you know, when you're so busy trying to sort of get ahead, uh, it can unfortunately and feel like you're 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 falling behind if you're getting rebuked, and and so the whole thing gets confusing if you've already sort of set yourself up in a competitive relationship, as opposed to sort of this mutual hey we're here for one another kind of thing. Well, Peter, don't you think that, uh, like, when I decide to do something, I always think I'm right. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. Okay? Seriously. Why would you? I'm wrong about this. I'm going to do it anyway. And you need people to point out to you that you're off. I'm off base. And otherwise, there's destruction ahead. That's fair, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there's some safety in that then too, actually, for, you know, you're not just out there on your own trying to do your own thing. And, and so you're kind of, it's, it's sort of weird. It probably doesn't feel like you're in it together if somebody is rebuking you, but you actually are in it together. And then you're not out there on an Island by yourself and, and you're not going to then wreak some havoc or create some destruction in somebody's life or in your own career or your own life. If you're, if you're actually willing to walk that out, but boy, it, it certainly does seem tricky. So if, if you think of rebuke as an, and Rebecca helped me with this definition, a sharp disapproval because of one's action. And if you are rebuking someone, would it not be a great act of love if you're preventing them from continuing on a destructive path? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'd rather be the rebuker <laughs> than the rebuker. <laughs> I get it, George. You know? <laughs> Part of this, though, is the way life is, sometimes you you can't rebuke them because you don't have that relationship to do it. And what I mean by that is, there's a guy I've been praying for who is now separated from his wife and children because of his pornography addiction. I don't know this guy at all. I know who he is. I've met him once or twice, but I'm praying for him. But my prayer is that he will get somebody in his life to start holding him accountable for this stuff. And, you know, so it's just some of this is the Lord bringing people across our path and and uh, praying for other people sometimes to show up in their life. If you were to say to someone, I love you enough to say this, would that be something that would be warm or would it be manipulative? Well, if you didn't know him that well, it'd be kind of creepy. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I think to ask permission is is a way to do it. Say, you know, there's something I, I I think I'm supposed to talk to you about, and this is hard for me, and, you know, are you open for me to bring something up that, is is maybe going to be hard for you to hear. I mean, and if they say no, then you don't do it. But most people would say, okay, I think. I think asking yeah. for permissions mm-hmm. critical. You're good at that, George. You always ask for permission. Are you open to some input? You've said that to me a hundred times. Are you asking me what I think? That's it. That's yeah. what you say. Yeah. <laughs> Which is good. These little tricks of people that know how to do recovery. That's mm-hmm. what that is. When you think of some verses like in Proverbs one twenty three, God says, I'll pour out my spirit to you, but to the one who despises it, I will laugh at your calamity. Proverbs one twenty five and 26. 
What is, can you read that again for me, please? Yeah. To the one who embraces rebuke, God says, I will pour out my spirit to you. That's Proverbs one twenty three. But to the one who despises it, I will laugh at your calamity. Proverbs one twenty five and 26. Um, There's an example of a verse where when I come across verses like that or verses in the Psalms where God actually says a few times, I hate these people. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. It, it makes me realize God is not the marshmallow that we normally think he is in American Christianity. And it's a good thing to to have to chew on those verses that God is God whether you like it or not, and he's going to have final say. And uh, he's a loving God, but he's also very just and holy. I mean, I just this morning read about, uh, it was it was at Achan who stole the stuff and put it under his tent and and God told the people, you go stone him. And they not only stoned him, they stole his wife, stoned his wife and kids. I mean, that's a whole different God than the grandpa type of God that we have in a lot of our churches. He's a holy God. Yeah, that's such a tough one, isn't it? And Tom, you're so right about that in terms of that we really seem to increasingly present just one side of God in mm-hmm. this. And, and uh, I, I find it interesting that in the Scripture, that reaction of God, whether it's laughing at calamity or really coming up against in the, in, with the energy that God does uh, at times, seems to be mostly reserved for those people who have been uh, sort of given an invitation towards the truth and even more importantly towards leadership in some way. They're, they're visible people within the community that should know better and have been told better, and they sort of then openly defy and mock God and basically are almost just testing God and saying, you really, God, don't have what it takes. So, you know, when, so when I think about that, I want to be careful not to apply it to some people who maybe have never really heard about the, Jesus's kingdom in, in the way that it really is, and maybe they think they've rejected the, the kingdom or Jesus, but they've just rejected some sort of weird interpretation of it or something. So, but but certainly, uh, I'm very mindful when you start hearing verses, uh, for those of you that are teaching, be real careful if you ever want to do that kind of thing, because uh, you're sort of hold, held doubly responsible, because you're, you're impacting people's lives on behalf of God. So he does certainly tend to move people out of the way that would otherwise hold some kind of power over others um, when then those others are threatened, and he, he doesn't tolerate it. And, and I'm not sure what to make of all of that, but, uh, but certainly that is a side of God that I don't think we should be messing with. And you know, I'll tell you what reading that story did for me this morning about uh, Aiken and the, the band stealing. I kind of thought to myself, hey, I've done worse than that, and I haven't been <laughs> stoned to death yet. You know, And it, yet. Put, it put the fear of God in me. Like yeah. Tom, watch yourself. God can do this kind of thing if He has to, you know. So yeah, I went through a season just where I mean, I wouldn't call it a life verse or anything, but that the verse of you know God will not be mocked kind of thing, and and it was a direct confrontation and, and a rebuke a little bit because yeah, I, I don't think it's unusual for pastors or professors or people in in vocational ministry, and and I've walked out that journey a bit at times in my life to sort of begin to start thinking that they're really the bomb and they really, you know, they're the ones that are bringing forth the ministry and they're this and they're that. And pretty soon they, they've forgotten entirely what this whole thing's about. And and I've walked those pathways to a certain degree at different times in my life. And that's when that also in the verse is like, you know, hang on a second, Capsner. God's not mocked by this. This is his kingdom and not yours. Yep. And if you're not going to be careful about this, you might just be shoved aside in some way. Mm-hmm. Gentlemen, have you f- discovered and I know this is kind of an obvious, dumb question, how Christians seem to fail to have a consistently biblical worldview. 
There was an interesting uh, study by the Barna Group, and they found out their extensive survey um, asked questions about the Bible to determine if people truly believe what the Bible said. Results were this. 4% did. Uh, wow. Professed Christians did not fare much better. So if a professed Christian does not believe what the Bible says, it's going to be pretty hard for them to have a kind of an authentic biblical worldview. When you've got them, I think there, I, I read a, a survey, something like 70% of Americans, it's an old survey, so it's probably worse now, 70% of Americans think many paths, many religions lead to God. And when you've got, I'll say it again, the ELCA Lutherans just had their convention where a guy stood up wanting to affirm Jesus is the only way of salvation, and they voted him down by like 97%. And you kind of wonder, what world are we living in now? I mean, good night, I'm a Lutheran, and and when I was a kid, everybody believed Jesus was the only way of salvation. Mm -hmm. But not anymore, and... And your question was, <laughs> oh, yeah, how do you keep a consistent worldview? Yeah, I, I, we don't even see Christians are, are doing these, that. Are these 4% of the people reading their Bible? Yeah, George? <laughs> okay. I I always have a problem with Christian <laughs> worldview. Um, okay. Because Christian worldview can be a lot different. And uh, when I hear this now, it's often involved in politics. So let's just take immigration. I would come down on the side that we're commanded to love our neighbor. And people that are dying, trying to get into our country to keep their kids alive. The other side is Christians who want to build walls to keep them out. What's my point? Well, I'm sick of doing a radio show and I want to get kicked (laughs) off. I think when, when we hear Christian worldview, people are taking scripture and deciding how God sees that in the world. And we got to be careful because I would take the opposite view on a lot of you guys in the studio that I would say is just as biblical, and that might be one right there. And I think we have to be very careful with that. Uh, If you say Christian worldview to me, the only thing that's really important on that or the utmost importance is the only way to heaven is Jesus, that the only one who can forgive us our sins is Jesus. That to me is a Christian worldview. Yeah. Yeah. But how do you apply that in other ways? To me, it comes across as very non-Christian that yeah. people will proclaim they're Christians, they're politically active, and I don't. I, yeah. I, I think it's messy. Well, and on, help me on, out again, on, Peter. On, for, on immigration, on immigration, on universal health care, there's not a Christian view on that. Christians genuinely disagree on stuff like that. But like you just said, right. the big stuff we cannot disagree on. Well, like, and, and I think the danger is the Christian worldview is my worldview mm-hmm. as a Christian. And I don't think that that's my point. Well, I think the... Am I going to get rebuked here? No, no. I, I'm just thinking that the Christian w- worldview f- uh, for the guys here in the studio would consist of sharing the hope that we have in Christ with mm-hmm. others. And our view is... Apart from Christ, you're dead in your sins, and you're going to spend eternity apart from God. That's the big that's, stuff. That's my Christian yep. worldview. I don't apply it to politics. Okay, but you hear like the Chuck Colson uh, oh, sure. Center for Worldview Studies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and those come across as Christian people, and I admire the guy greatly. Uh, but a lot of the things that I've heard on that, I disagree with as a Christian. Yeah. 
And so I think we have to be careful. Anytime you want to bail me out on this, Kapsner, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, for your last show, George, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> right now. Yeah. yeah, he's gone. To you, he's gone to you one too many times. You know. Oh man, yeah. I, you know, it isn't. It, I guess what I'm hearing some of it is, you know, what, what what can we identify as being things that are so centrally Christian that if you walked away from them, you no longer could even really claim that name of being Christian. And what are those things where? People have legitimate theological or social differences in, in mm-hmm. how they see it. And and I, like you, George, I mean, you said it well. I, I'm always fascinated when, if I have to study a passage of Scripture for some reason, and read six different col- commentaries by people with really fancy letters after their names and, and alleged experts on that particular passage of Scripture, and you can come out with almost three different points of view uh, to six points of view on that that passage. So how do you sort that out? And and how do you know what is, what is authentically Christian? But I think, Bill, what you said, if we can't agree on those places, and if we can't say, hey, look, um, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that to me is such a central Christian statement, because we're going to follow something, whether it's our own passions, dreams, desires, something else in this world. But for people who say, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, that, if you can't say that, then there isn't anything of Christian to say beyond that, I don't think. Let me take a little break. You listen to the Guy Talk. Uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner, George Fraser, Tom Brock is in studio. We've got one more segment. We've got time for a question or an issue. Let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Back to the show. Guy Talk is underway. We've got one more segment. Dr. Peter Kapsner, George Fraser, co-host of Real Recovery, and Pastor Tom Brock at pastorsstudy.org. Um, in 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, Paul talks about, you know, preaching the Word and being prepared and patient and careful and be ready to share our faith. And we're going to be up against some persecution, especially in the world today. How equipped do you feel you are at dealing with that opposition, and are you a little bit more reserved than usual because of the opposition you might face? I think there's two things that come from that verse for me, persecution from people and then also from the enemy to get me to fall. Hmm. And um, we can overlook that one. I guess I'm old enough now to what people think. A lot of it I really don't care, uh, but I don't want to sin badly. And so I fall. I look at the satanic influence of that verse, Bill, on that one too. That <clears throat> the persecution isn't just from people. And I would I would encourage our listeners to go to persecution.org. That's the website for uh, a group called International Christians Concerned. And I get it every week and every month. That is, I just got it in the mail uh, yesterday. They send you out a magazine once a month. It's free telling you these horror stories of what's happening around the world. And they kind of, well, first of all, it makes you pray for our brothers and sisters overseas, but it also makes me think I haven't even touched the whole uh, persecution issue. I mean, I'm not persecuted. When when you read these stories, it's like, you know, get over it. 
And I think we need to be humble and loving, but bolder. I, I think as our culture falls apart and becomes more and more anti-Christian, I think we need to lovingly, humbly, even be bolder. Yeah, I, you know, boy, the persecution thing, I, I sometimes played out in my mind. Like, what would happen if um, things were unjustifiably taken away from me? Like, you know, if, if for some reason— uh, somebody took my job for me or, or did this, then the other, because I was a believer. And, and I realized in those times sort of, I don't know how to say it differently than this, but maybe how soft my life is at certain times. Yeah. And, and I wonder what would it be like to really actually have to suffer and not just perceive suffering because my remote control doesn't have a battery or something like that. But, but what is, what would it be like to really suffer <laughs> and would I be willing to do so? And, you know, I, I think playing that out in your mind a little bit, just to maybe take my hands off the, uh, off just the, the strength of the grip I have on the things in this life that I think are meaningful, that do are, are those things that so often get stripped away when you are under persecution. It does have a revealing effect on the faith, and I would be, I guess, a little bit surprised. I don't have a crystal ball into the future, but I'd be a little surprised if some of the hostility we're experiencing towards Christianity today in even Western cultures now won't kind of continue to persist in the in the generations ahead. I think often of my children right now, and what will they face uh, as they decide to follow Jesus in their mm-hmm. life, and, and how different will it be than what I'm dealing with right now? How often do you think of God's promises, and then how often do you think, I need to hold on to those promises? Yeah, I think when things are starting, when they get stripped away is when I think about them most often. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, or I think about people close to me that maybe are going to head through the, sort of the shadows of, of death moving forward. They have a terminal diagnosis or something along those lines. It, it both is in real time a difficult situation for them and for me, but it also then it makes me think about, well, I'll be walking through those shadows at some point, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's 50 years from now. And it's in those times that then the promises of God, you realize that there isn't any promise in this world that will take you through to the other side of those shadows. And and that for me, I'll say, is is when it begins to make the most amount of sense and, and you realize, gosh, there really is only one hope as promised in, mm-hmm. in sort of the beautiful kingdom we serve. And my favorite Corey Ten Boom quote is, I have learned to hold everything God gives me loosely Ugh, so it yeah. doesn't hurt so bad when he takes it away. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think I've heard another version of that. It doesn't hurt so bad when God pries your fingers open. (laughs) (laughs) Oftentimes that's what happens, right? (laughs) Yes, indeed. We kind of get to that. I think it's 1 Corinthians 15 where it talks about that uh, if there isn't a resurrection, we should be pitied. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yeah, exactly. And and where you get that forced acceptance is every scheme that you have, every plan that you have outside of God is not going to work because God is actually true and reality and sovereign. And then you're grateful that you have a relationships with him. But getting to that point can be hard. And then you're glad you know what the promises are. But uh, up till then, you might be struggling on your own. I kind of do that. Mm -hmm. I so appreciate Guy Talk. And I love the fact that, Tom, you've been kind of a a faithful uh, panel member this summer. And I know you're heading for Europe for the next three weeks. I am. Going to England. Yes. So first time ever, a minority of people in England say they're Christians. That's new. Yeah. So I've got a lot of work to do in three yes, weeks. Yes, you do. <laughs> Evangelize that country. <laughs> kind of looks like a pilot in his white shirt and tie, doesn't he? <laughs> That's what happens when I preach. I put on a tie. <laughs> it's really nice. And George, uh, you've become a, a favorite here by listeners. And I, I'll just say, as your consigliere, I have an obligation to tell you this. You don't talk about family problems when you come on the air. 
Thank you. Is <laughs> <laughs> that a rebuke? Or am I being a heretic? No, I'm just kidding. And Peter, you've got your family heading to Scotland, or are they already are they already gone? Yeah, so we leave this Sunday, actually. Um, we're just going to spend a, a bit of time over there. We had some background with our oldest kids there, and our youngest kids are going to spend a little bit of time there, um, kind of almost on a, on a study exchange sort of It's not an exchange, but just a study program. So, yeah, so it would be a, kind of an interesting move, see what happens in our kids' lives as a result. Mm-hmm. And what is the last thing? we just got a couple of minutes left. What was the last thing you guys uh, read in Scripture uh, that that stuck with you? And I assume it's in the last day or even the last six hours, maybe, or a week. I'm just yeah. Thinking. So go ahead. Yeah, Peter. I, I, I'm just gonna jump in real quick. It, it was actually the, some of the opening verses in Genesis where it says, uh, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, and the earth was formless and void. And then it says, and darkness was sort of over the totality of the earth. And and my son of all people was looking at that passage a bit. And he said, you know, darkness, Dad, actually in the Hebrew, is this, it, it has a sense of misery with it, meaning that the earth did not have any real shape, purpose, or function at this point. And in the midst of that misery, uh, God said, okay, now let there be light. And uh, that's really stuck with me. I've been thinking about that a lot, just about how it's more than just earth and light happening in Genesis, but that's true of our own lives in a lot of ways, too. Is that the daily bread? I don't know. I don't know where he all got it from. It was it was just interesting to see that. I, I Again, it's one of those things I've never seen before, and it's really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Here's what it's stuck cold. with me. I was reading 2 Timothy 4. I've been studying that lately. And I'm in verse 14, and it says, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. And that's it. There you go. <laughs> there you, there, again, there's the sign of God that we rarely talk about. Uh, I know. Right. Uh, Alexander, the metal worker, boy, is he in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> the metal worker? Yeah, the metal worker. All right, that wraps up Guy Talk. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Tom, Thank see you. you in a month. And George, I'll hopefully see you next week. And same with Peter. And uh, we're going to have the, the beautiful and amazing Queens of the Roundtable. That's up next. Thanks for uh, sending me questions, and thanks for listening. And I'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.